This is The World in Brief from The Economist. Our top stories. America will provide Ukraine with long-range rocket systems that can strike targets nearly 50 miles, 80 kilometers away, as part of a new $700 million military aid package. The commitment was only made after senior Ukrainian officials assured America that the weapons would not be used against targets inside Russia. Writing in the New York Times, Joe Biden said he does not want a war between NATO and Russia or to oust Vladimir Putin. America's goal is a democratic, independent Ukraine with the means to defend itself against further aggression. Russian forces are occupying greater swaths of the industrial city of Severodonetsk in eastern Ukraine. The Ukrainian army said that Russia was pounding the surrounding areas with artillery. On Tuesday, the governor of Luhansk, a province in the east of Ukraine, said that Russian forces hit a tank full of nitric acid at a facility in Severodonetsk. Residents were told to stay in shelters to avoid the fallout. Russia cut off more of its gas supply to Europe, following the European Union's partial ban on Russian oil. Gazprom, a state-owned energy giant, said it will halt flows to companies in Denmark, Germany, and the Netherlands because they failed to make payments in rubles. On Monday, leaders of the EU agreed to the bloc's harshest package of sanctions yet, which will cut imports of Russian oil by 90% by the end of the year. America announced that it will soon begin new trade talks with Taiwan. The island was recently excluded from a U.S.-led initiative, the Indo-Pacific Economic Framework, designed to limit Chinese economic ambitions in the region. There had been fears that some countries might be wary of joining the IPEF if it included Taiwan, which China claims as its own. China's state planning agency outlined a new five-year plan for the renewable sector. It plans to increase the percentage of power on the grid from renewable sources to a third by 2030, up from almost 29% in 2020. The country aims to raise the share of green energy use in the overall economy to 20%. China is currently the world's biggest emitter of climate-damaging greenhouse gases. Alexei Navalny, a jailed Kremlin critic, said he had been charged with additional crimes by Russian authorities and faces 15 more years in prison if found guilty. The accusations, he said, include creating an extremist organization to fan hatred against officials and oligarchs and organizing anti-government protests. In March, Mr. Navalny was handed a nine-year sentence for fraud and contempt of court. The Biden administration said it would push for further sanctions against North Korea if the country went ahead with an expected nuclear weapons test. Last week, China and Russia vetoed America's proposal to tighten sanctions at the UN after a series of rocket launches by North Korea. The country has not conducted a nuclear test since 2017 the last time the UN imposed sanctions. And fact of the day, 2,500. The number of anti-aircraft missiles that Germany has sent to Ukraine since the start of the Russian invasion. 
And now here's a deeper look at the day ahead. The Bloody Battle for Severodonetsk The endgame for the industrial town of Severodonetsk is underway. Severodonetsk sits in a vulnerable salient in eastern Ukraine, jutting into Russian-held territory. The invaders have been pounding it and the surrounding area with everything they have. Russian television correspondents have already claimed victory. That is probably an exaggeration, but Russian troops evidently have a solid foothold in the city. Fierce battles are taking place in central streets. Local sources suggest that the Ukrainian army has already begun to pull back, portending a broader retreat. Russia has committed a substantial proportion of its forces to taking Severodonetsk and Lyman, a transport hub and possible bridgehead for crossing the Donetsk River farther north. These modest battlefield aims are a far cry from the Kremlin's initial ambition of taking over Ukraine entirely. They also fall some way short of the more recently stated objective of occupying the whole Donbass region, which comprises Luhansk, the region where Severodonetsk is located, and neighboring Donetsk. But the advance is real. OPEC resists the West. The Organization of the Petroleum Exporting Countries and its allies, which include Russia, meet on Thursday to decide on their oil production target for the coming month. They are widely expected to stick to a modest increase of about 400,000 barrels per day. If so, that will frustrate a West grappling with soaring prices. The price of oil is hovering around $120 a barrel again, not far from the 127-decade high it reached in March. But OPEC has been resisting Western pressure to increase its output more quickly. One reason is the frosty relationship between President Joe Biden's administration and Saudi Arabia, OPEC's most important member. Another is the group's uncertainty about how much Russian oil will end up disappearing from the market as a result of Western sanctions. But OPEC also appears to have little spare capacity to pump more oil. For months, it has struggled to meet even its modest output targets. The oil price rally does not seem to be running out of gas yet. Netflix faces its shareholders. The world's biggest streamer applies a keeper test for employees, firing anyone whose performance is deemed merely adequate. After a turbulent few months, some have started to wonder whether Netflix's joint bosses, Reed Hastings and Ted Sarandos, passed the test. On Thursday, the pair will face shareholders at the company's annual meeting. Investors are shell-shocked. Its shares have dropped by two-thirds this year. Despite lavish spending on programs like Stranger Things, the final season of which was launched last week, New subscribers have dried up. Netflix promises a cheaper, ad-supported tier to tempt new members. It is experimenting with new content, such as games and live programming. Yet as competition from the likes of Disney Plus increases and household budgets are stretched by inflation, the danger is that subscribers decide that Netflix itself is no longer a keeper. 
Britain celebrates 70 years of Queen Elizabeth II. Her first solo engagement took place in 1942, when she expected the Grenadier Guards at Windsor Castle. More than 21,000 ribbon cuttings and plaque unveilings have followed, along with 200-plus official portraits and over 300,000 congratulatory telegrams sent to centarian subjects. Between June 2nd and 5th, Britain will celebrate another of Queen Elizabeth II's milestones, the Platinum Jubilee, to mark her 70 years on the throne. Much of what will unfold is objectively ludicrous. People in large hats will parade around on horses. A lunch in Windsor will see an attempt on the coveted record of the world's longest table. But the Jubilee is no trifling matter. A 70-year reign is unprecedented for an English monarch, and the Queen commands widespread approval. Eight in ten Britons have a positive opinion of her. Every single age group thinks of her favorably. The virtues of continuity and consensus that the Queen represents are sorely lacking in other branches of the British state. The spelling bee is losing its spell. It is as much a contest of nerves as it is of words. Yoga and meditation are part of players' daily routines, as is memorizing the Latin, Greek, and German roots of thousands of words. On Thursday, 234 children aged 7 to 15 will tackle streams of obscure words at the finals of the Scripps National Spelling Bee which will be held in person in Maryland after a three-year hiatus. The competition has grown increasingly hard over the decades. In 1928, the winning word was knack. Last year, Zaila Avant-Garde, the first African-American to win the competition, won the B with the correct spelling of Mireya, a genus of tropical Asiatic and Australian trees. She celebrated her triumph with a pirouette but the pandemic has taken some sheen off the event. This year, the local newspapers and other publications that traditionally sponsored regional bees have mostly backed out after being hit hard by the pandemic. The contestant role is less than half the size of that in 2019. Still, for the freckle-faced logophiles competing in this one-of-a-kind linguistic adventure, Thursday's final will offer unbeatable delights. Daily Quiz Our baristas will serve you a new question each day this week. On Friday, your challenge is to give us all five answers and, as important, tell us the connecting theme. Email your responses and include a mention of your home city and country by 1700 BST on Friday to quizespresso at economist.com. We'll pick randomly from those with the right answers and crown one winner per continent on Saturday. Thursday. Which fashionable ski resort, close to the Italian border, was the childhood home of triple Olympic champion Jean-Claude Killy? Wednesday. Which silent film comedian was dubbed the Great Stoneface? Finally, here's the quote of the day from Vita Sackville-West, who died on this day in 1962. 
Women, like men, ought to have their years so glutted with freedom that they hate the very idea of freedom. That's The World in Brief from The Economist, available three times every day of the week. You can also hear interviews and analysis from our journalists, including our current affairs podcast, The Intelligence, on your podcast app. And subscribers to The Economist have access to each week's full edition in audio. Just download The Economist app to start listening.